Mandy Rod Sherman is a 33-year-old woman living with cystic fibrosis. She's been married for nine years, has one seven-year-old son, and is expecting a baby girl via gestational surrogacy this summer. She loves to exercise, podcast, reading, and skiing with her boys. Mandy is a respiratory therapist, a public speaker, and an advocate. She educates on her life story of living with CF and provides awareness for chronic illnesses on social media platforms. On a personal note, Mandy and I have been friends for almost 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share her light with everyone today. Her story of resilience and determination has inspired me over and over, and I'm also so grateful she's willing to open up and share and educate us today about her journey with gestational surrogacy. Mandy, I'm so happy to see you. It's been a long time since we've seen each other in person. We used to be neighbors. We used to live like a street away from each other. And we've just stayed in touch. Now I get to watch your beautiful life unfold on Instagram. And it's so amazing. And you've been through so much. And you have some really exciting things going on right now. But for anyone who isn't familiar with you, can you just give a brief little intro of who you are and what you do? Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Corinne. I'm really excited to do this with you. It's such an honor. I am Mandy Red Sherman. I am a 33-year-old woman living with cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a genetic progressive disease that one is born with. We can go more into that later. But some things that I enjoy, I love listening to podcasts. I like reading books spending time with my family, which consists of my husband and my son. We enjoy boating, skiing. I am a respiratory therapist, and I also do Instagram, social media, kind of share my story, raise awareness, provide education there. So awesome. And you have a little boy named Hawk? Yes. Who's how old? He is seven. Seven, and then you're going to have. We're going to have a little girl in June. (laughs) I'm so excited for you. I knew that. I just didn't want to steal your thunder. Thank you. That's so exciting. (laughs) So we're going to talk all about the miracles that have made some of that happen. But first, I would love to just briefly, for anyone who isn't like super familiar with cystic fibrosis, talk just about what life looks like for you with CF. And and I also would love to just. I know this is hard to just condensed because there's so much of your life, but talk about how your life has changed also since that new drug came out. So let's just briefly kind of go over that. Okay. So cystic fibrosis, it is a genetic. So you have to get like one gene from both of your parents. It's also a progressive disease. Like the longer you have it, the more, I don't want to say the stronger it gets, but the more damage you have in your body. So essentially, you know, your disease is getting worse. And it was a terminal disease. They recently shifted that to more of like a life-threatening disease because Mm -hmm. they, like you mentioned, they came out with a new medication that is just really changing the whole community and world of cystic fibrosis. But before I get into that, what cystic fibrosis does is it affects all the organs in my body. My body doesn't digest my food. I take medication to do that. We're on a very high calorie diet because as our food is trying to be digested and moves through the stomach, small intestine, large intestine, the absorption is only about one third of what we eat. So 
were on very high calorie diets, 4,500 to 5,000 in the hopes that like one third of that will get absorbed and we'll get almost a 2,000 calorie diet. It affects your lungs and breathing. You get recurrent lung infections, scars, tissue, loss of lung function, lots of hospitalizations due to infections. And most people with cystic fibrosis to continue living will need a double lung transplant. I have friends with CF that it's just wreaked havoc on their heart, kidneys, liver, all of those have been been transplanted. So there's, it's your whole body. <laughs> Our bones, uh, we're prone to like early osteoporosis, osteopenia. We're tested every year for diabetes because of where it affects the pancreas. So it's just a full body disease. <laughs> and I remember when I first met you guys, I didn't really know anything about cystic fibrosis. I met your family because we were neighbors for a few years. And I remember the first time either you or your sister went into the hospital and somebody told me and I was like, oh my gosh, oh no, do we, what do we need to do? Can we like, should we get them some meals? And our dear friend, Ruth, who was also a neighbor at the time said, oh, they, this is, this is like normal for them. And I was like, what? So I've learned so much knowing you and knowing your family about cystic fibrosis. I wanted to ask you actually a question that I didn't have until after I moved to California and watched that movie Five Feet Apart. Yeah. About how I never knew this, that people with CF shouldn't be like too close together or whatever. And that's a real thing, right? That's not like for the movies. That's a real... That is absolutely true. Yes. Okay. But then how do you guys do that in your family? Because two of you have CF. Yeah, great question. People with cystic fibrosis were we're kind of contagious to each other in the sense like if I have a lung infection and I cough, somebody else with cystic fibrosis could catch the infection I have. Same thing like if you're sick and you cough, it's just like, or not even if you're not sick, like whatever bacteria you have in your lungs, because we all have bacteria, mm -hmm. it's in the air, we're breathing it in and out all day. But because your lungs can like exhale it and get it out, but in my lungs or somebody else with cystic fibrosis, it just gets stuck in there because of the mucus in our lungs, which inhibits our ability to breathe. And that's a perfect Petri dish for the bacteria to thrive and create an infection. So that's exactly how it works. And every time a person with cystic fibrosis gets another infection, it usually means like permanent damage, loss of lung function, more scar tissue added treatments, more medications. So each infection is some sort of lifestyle change. So to prevent that from happening, you stay six feet away from anybody with cystic fibrosis because that's about how far your cough or a sneeze travels. And there's okay. no such thing as like CF camps because we all have to be support groups. There's really no such thing because we can't be together. Right. So for our family... First and foremost, Natalie and I are sisters. So one, we're very careful around each other. And two, sister, that bond like can't be beat. So we're very careful. We kind of had our lives swapped. Like when she would eat, I would do my treatments in the mornings for like breakfast and stuff. And then mm -hmm. we would switch. So to make sure we weren't like coughing around each other because our treatments make us cough a lot. And... Yeah. Every three months, our lungs are tested to see what bacteria or bugs are growing. And right now, and this was how much of our childhood was, we're culturing all the same bacteria. So 
we're not contagious or a threat to each other. Does that make sense? We yes. the same thing. Now, okay. just like when you're living with the same people, you pass the same cold around and you're all kind of, is that right? Am I thinking the right way? Yeah. 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 That's great. Okay. Uh-huh. And I think it was like in fifth grade, I cultured something new that Natalie didn't have, which is my sister with CF. Natalie is her name. So I moved in the basement and she lived up top. Oh, wow. We were together. We sat like six feet across from each other at the dinner table and we were mainly together outside. That was more of a safe place to play, right? Because indoors, if you cough, which we do a lot, it just stays trapped inside. So if you're outside, yeah. the risk of infection is less. And eventually she caught what I had because we live in the same home. So now we can be together and we've been able to be together ever since. But if it so happens that one of us cultures something the other doesn't have, then we will have to work our lives around that six feet or attending family functions when the other one isn't there. So it's a real thing. Wow. That's not just like a Hollywood dramatization that they put in for five feet apart. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I can't even imagine what that's been like for you guys, but you've done it so beautifully and your bond is so strong with both of your sisters. Yeah. So it's really beautiful to watch. It is. Thank you, Corinne. I would love to just shift into motherhood and how that has affected your journey with becoming a mom and having children. And first, can we just briefly talk about Hawk and how that miracle happened? Because when you told that story once on Instagram, I was like, what? I couldn't believe it when you were sharing the details of how that all came to be. Yeah. So, oh man, his whole life and birth and everything is, there's only one word to describe it and it's miracle, miraculous. He Oh, so having cystic fibrosis, growing up my whole life, one of the complications that it affects is our reproductive system. So I was told my whole life I would never have children for various reasons. One, because our reproductive system is affected by cystic fibrosis. The second one being, if I did happen to get pregnant, which is it would be extremely difficult the chances of me being able to grow a baby would are greatly diminished because I have to eat 5,000 calories to maintain myself. Yeah. Let alone trying to consume more to grow a, grow a fetus like that. Okay. And then you've carried babies. So the bigger they get, the less you can eat and mm -hmm. the less you can breathe. Or my breathing mm -hmm. is already... Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Impacted, right? Right. But the chances of me getting pregnant were very low in enough that they were told me to never expect it. So dating my husband now, that was a hard conversation that we had to have when we were dating because that can deter people. You know, if you yeah. are with somebody going into it that doesn't want kids or can't have kids, those are conversations you need to have and they can affect somebody wanting to be with you. Luckily for me, Rick is amazing. And he, and when we are having this conversation, he's like, well, I want to marry you for you, not for the children that you might have, <laughs> you know, not for yeah. the offspring I may have with you. Like I want to be with you. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for him, but I did also know I didn't want to get pregnant because of the risk of that. So I was on birth control 
and we were married for three months. I still remember, you know, when you're newlyweds, it's like, oh, our six week anniversary. Oh, our seven week. <laughs> yeah. So it was our 12 week anniversary. And I was acting very weird. And I was like, okay, I've heard when other women act like this, they take a pregnancy test. It's going to be <laughs> negative because chances of me getting pregnant are very low. Well, I took it and it was positive and I didn't believe it. So I went and got my blood drawn and they called back and they said, congratulations, you're six weeks pregnant. Like, Oh my gosh. I was excited because holy crap, like I might be able to have a baby. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant. I did something that very few women with cystic fibrosis have ever done. And I did something the doctors told me I would never do. While you're on birth control. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just, it's a miracle. The whole thing's a miracle. miracle. Yes. So I told Rick and he was initially excited, but we both also had the same thought. And we're like, we thought it was going to be a death sentence because our doctors are very blunt and they are amazing I appreciate that rapport with them. And the first people we told we were pregnant was my doctors. Cause we're like, okay, we're going to do this. Like we need help. I'm going to support. Yes. So we went to the doctors and my CF team. That's what I mean by the doctors. We went to my CF team and told them and my doctor said, great. Well, my job is to one, keep you alive and two, keep you healthy. Having a baby directly affects both of those things. So our medical professional opinion is that you need to terminate your pregnancy. And I wasn't expecting that. Hmm. I wasn't, that was not an option in my brain. That wasn't like where I went. I just thought, okay, I'm going to try this. And I know it's supposed to be really hard. So it's going to put my life at risk. So it might be the thing that takes me out. I don't know. Um, but I didn't expect them to medically advise me to terminate. And it took Rick and I a little bit back, but we had to, we told them we have to think about it because within our religion, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the stance on abortion is that it's not something that you should do unless it is at the risk of the health of the mother. Right. Which is the exact situation that I fell in. So we couldn't right. we couldn't default our decision on our religious beliefs. Like that's not something we're gonna do because our religion advises against it and we have strong we're strong followers. So we're like, crap, we really actually have to think about this. And I am so empathetic to any woman or couple that has to go through that because just thinking about it or having the conversations or having to make a decision is so gut-wrenching and so hard no matter which way you decide like it's not easy so Rick and I counseled together we counseled with our church leaders and prayed and we never got an answer on what my life was going to be like but we got the answer that this baby, this soul needed to come to earth. And that was the faith that we had to go on. We didn't know. We're like, okay, maybe it is going to be a death sentence. Cause that was like the gut feeling we both had. 
but we knew that he needed to be here. So my my thought process was like, well, if I go out, at least I'm going out doing the coolest thing that women can do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that I can go out doing something that my doctors told me I'd never be able to do. And how wonderful would it be for Rick to have a piece of me forever? So that was how we came to the conclusion. And we decided not to, obviously, we decided not to terminate and move forward with it. And there's so much that happened during that pregnancy that is more miraculous and mind blowing. But ultimately, like, I'm still here talking to you. And we already said my son is seven. So we both made it through the process. (laughs) So amazing. Yeah. Oh. What truly what a miracle. And it's so cool to hear about miracles, too. Like that's something that just always feels like such a gift to me because it strengthens my faith and strengthens my ability to seek and expect miracles. So that's so cool. And thanks for sharing that tender story. Now, seven years down the road, tell me about what led you and Rick to decide that you wanted to have another baby via surrogacy. Yeah. Surrogacy. Surrogacy. Yep. (laughs) So I want to like make a clarification here very quickly. So within the like definitions of IVF and infertility in the fertility world. So there is something called surrogacy and something called just a gestational carrier. And there is a big difference between them. So a surrogate is like a broad spectrum, an umbrella term for any woman that carries or grows life for somebody else. Okay. Um, but typically and legally, surrogacy is either a sperm donor or the sperm of the intended father, and usually the egg of the woman carrying. Oh, okay. So that's kind of like what surrogacy is. Sometimes it's an egg donor and a sperm donor, but surrogacy, the woman can be related to the fetus that she's growing. A gestational carrier is biologically the child of the intended parents. So Rachel is the woman carrying our baby, and she's a gestational carrier because they retrieved my eggs and used Rick's sperm to create the embryo. So that is our journey is with the gestational carrier. So is there a better term for, do you guys still call it surrogacy or do you call it, what do you call it? We use surrogacy because if you say gestational carrier, people don't know what you're talking about or you have to stop and explain it. But if you say surrogacy, yeah. everyone knows what that is. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But I just, I, it's an important, it's a legal, it's different kind of whole legal thing. Um, it also plays into like our religion and the doctrine of that a little bit. Well, yeah, I don't necessarily want to say doctrine because we don't have much doctrine, but the guidelines and procedures of yeah the ceiling of the family and stuff so there is a definition yeah. difference <laughs> but surrogacy is plain and simple so we'll use that yeah no that's great and it's I mean that was like one of the most important things when starting this podcast to give space for explaining these things and being better about calling things the proper names and creating more understanding and empathy and all of those things so that's super important to me too so I'm glad that we covered that now let's get into the story. So how did this come about? So I remember 
way back when Hawk was like two years old, I was like, I want another baby, <laughs> which is so funny. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. Which after I had Hawk, mm-hmm. that was really the demise of my health. Mm. With my cystic fibrosis, I felt I could carry Hawk because I was an extremely healthy woman. At that point, I had 90% lung function. I had just finished my collegiate athletic career. I hadn't been hospitalized in years. I was very, very healthy in CF standards and earthly body standards. Yeah. But by the time that those 37 weeks and two days had passed, my cystic fibrosis just took a turn turn and I went from mild cystic fibrosis to moderate or early stages of severe disease. And I gave birth to him with 54% lung function, just a little bit more than one lung working. And I never recovered after that. My lung function stayed about the same and quickly continued to fall. I was in the hospital a lot. I was getting a lot more lung infections. I was losing weight like crazy, like I couldn't sustain it. And so when Hawk was two, my health was in bad shape. So it was kind of crazy for me to want to have another baby. My husband's like, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing that because of where you are. And it's true. The risk of having another baby, me carrying it, it wasn't worth it because the amount of lung function I lost during that pregnancy, if I lost that same amount, which there's no reason why my body wouldn't nearly respond and do the same thing, I wouldn't have made it. You can't survive on 10% lung capacity. Right. So that wasn't an option, but I have a dear, dear friend named Emily, who is a woman living with cystic fibrosis that has two kids. Her first being a biological child, and she had a horrific pregnancy and delivery. She ended up on life support for quite some time after, um, but she made it through. So my doctors connected us so she could be a support for me and mentor during that time. And I also learned that her second child, she ended up having through a gestational carrier. So her sister-in-law carried her son for her. Wow. Wow. She was the first person that I knew that had done that besides a celebrity, right? <laughs> like who, yeah. celebrity Not people a Kardashian. in Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, I didn't even know like normal people could do that. <laughs> so she helped me kind of normalize that process and realize it's something that I could obtain if I wanted. You know, she was the first person that planted the seed for me. Yeah. So Rick and I, we continued living our life. Um, My health continued deteriorating, deteriorating. By the time Hawk was four years old, we had calculated, I had spent over a full year in the hospital. Over 365 days, I was hospitalized. I'd missed out on a quarter of his life. My cystic fibrosis was unstable. I was being checked up on every six weeks because that was all about the stability my body could hold before it needed some other sort of intervention. I was getting hospitalized about every eight weeks. I was under 90 pounds. I was on oxygen some of the time in the hospital. And I was really end-stage disease. And my doctor 
is a cystic fibrosis doctor. And she also had just transferred to our hospital coming as the head of transplant from her hospital in Michigan. So mm. I felt I was in the best care because not only did I have a cystic fibrosis specialist, she also was like the lung transplant specialist. Right. So I couldn't have had a better person watching over me during the time where I was so critical and on the point of needing to move forward with my double lung transplant. And she really helped me talk through those conversations with Rick and I, and we were inching towards the process of, you know, moving forward with that, starting the paperwork and the transplant process is a very lengthy thing. And we were having that conversation. And then at my next doctor appointment, she had said, there's this medication that is going to be coming through research and your specific genetics qualify. And I think you should really consider it. I said cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease and there are different medications on the market, but not all of our medications work for all of us. I didn't qualify for any of the previous ones because of my genetic combination, but this one I was going to, it was really exciting. So Rick and I were like, oh, wow, that's actually a, a big deal. That in and of itself is a miracle. Yeah. And us being where we were is also a miracle because she was so specialized in end-stage cystic fibrosis as well as transplant. Another miracle of this is that cystic fibrosis center I was at was handpicked from the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to research, like to study wow. this and participate in the research and not very many other cystic fibrosis centers were. So I'm yeah. in the right place at the right time being taken care of by the right people. And Rick and I, we decided to move forward with it. That was a little bit of a difficult decision mm -hmm. because of two reasons. When we agreed verbally to participate in the research, there were three different models of this medication that they were going to pick between that was going to be the final one for research. The one that they were leaning towards had phenomenal results, but it also had a really bad side effect in the animals that were tested on it, the mm -hmm. rats and pigs. Mm -hmm. If they had babies, they were born without heads, they were born without limbs. So they're like, you could never have children on this medication. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, that one didn't get picked because mm -hmm. of that serious side effect. But when we were pitched to become a part of the study, that was one they thought they were going to do. So that was one we had to make our decision off of. So we had to consider that and if that's something we were willing to do. thing is really we didn't know it was kind of like a Hail Mary it was a coin toss of this if this was going to work if it wasn't mm -hmm. or we moved forward with the lung transplant which we knew was going to work and extend my life yeah so for us we had a lot of hard conversations in our marriage right from the get-go of dating to when we were 12 weeks married and now four years in kind of making a life and death decision 
we decided to move forward with the study. How we did that was we knew if we moved forward with the double lung transplant that it was going to most likely extend my life and change our life. It was going Mm -hmm. to, you know, I was going to live longer, be here with more time with my son, spend more time with my husband, give us more time. If we participated in research, we didn't know what the outcome would be for my immediate self, but we knew that the information that the doctors and researchers gathered from that was going to potentially change the lives of people with living with cystic fibrosis who would come after me. Mm. I only got to live as old as I am because of all the CFRs that came before me and taught my doctors and researchers what they knew to take better care of me and I lived longer. So I wanted to do that same thing for the little ones with CF coming after me. So we moved forward with it and this medication proved to be better than they even thought. And I went from being hospitalized every six to eight weeks. Not only did it like stabilize my disease, I started getting better. I started having improvement in lung function, which prior to this medication was completely unheard of for people living with cystic fibrosis. You can only progress, but never like go back to what you had before, right? Yep. It was progressive degenerative terminal disease. Like you just get sicker and sicker down the hill, snowball faster and faster. Never in the history of CF had anybody gotten better. Well, my sister Natalie was actually the very first woman in the world to get in the study and to get this medication. Wow. Yeah. So she was number one and I was number two. So I'm one of the first people that are on this medication. So I'm one of the first people that is like starting to get better. And they're like, oh my gosh, like everybody's mind is being totally blown. Like what is happening? The impossible is actually happening. I've been on the medication now about three and a half years. I'm over, like I'm 120 pounds. I am totally okay saying that because (laughs) that's very healthy for me. I haven't been hospitalized. Well, okay, I was hospitalized three weeks ago. But prior to that, it was three years since I'd been hospitalized. Uh, And I'm teaching fitness classes. Like I, my life is, I am not living a progressive degenerative disease anymore. Like I am stable. Um, My lung function has increased and we're in a great spot. And so we knew yeah, we can grow our family because my chances, my life expectancy is much extended. I'm healthy enough. I could raise a baby. I could handle that. Your question you asked me was, how did we get to this? Well, we knew we wanted to grow our family. We didn't know how. We knew I would not be caring. So that left us the option of adoption, adoption through foster care or surrogacy. And Surrogacy seemed like the most far-fetched option. So we looked into the other ones, talked to a lot of people about adoption, looked into what that would mean locally for us. Mm -hmm. But we also did talk to some people about carrying our baby. Um, Rick's sister is one she offered to carry our baby. Wow. That was that gave me hope. That was actually when Hawk was like three. 
Um, so it was way before we were even ready or knew we could, but something that she had said, Hey, like I have very easy pregnancies. If this is something you want to do, you can use my uterus. Wow. That, you know, hope can move mountains. So I always had that in my back pocket, but that wasn't going to be our first choice. And we tried other avenues. Then at the time that we were ready to grow our family, she wasn't in a position to be able to do that for us. So I kind of thought it was off the table, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had a beautiful woman in our ward offer to carry a baby for us. That was December, 2019. And I was like, holy crap, like, Rick, look at this text, you know, like, we really thought about it and prayed about it. And um, we, we moved forward with her. It was also in the middle of the Trikafta study, which mm-hmm. I couldn't take any of the shots during that time because I was in research, right? So the timeline right. of that had to be pushed back a little bit, but we did many of the other things that you have to do to prepare prior to the shots. So we were moving forward with her then timing just didn't seem right. We put it on hold and she ended up growing her family. To qualify to be a surrogate, You ha- it has to be 18 months after your last child. Mm. She, We were in that waiting phase and kind of Rick and I didn't think anything of it. You know, we were just waiting. During that waiting phase, in comes Rachel and she came to us one day after it was a Sunday, it was in COVID, like people weren't going to church, but we met outside mm-hmm. six feet apart, her with her like little diet Coke at the end of my porch. I can just like totally envision it. And mm-hmm. she had said that she had this experience and she wanted to share it with us, said that she wanted to carry a baby for Rick and I, if that was something we were interested in. Wow. I was totally taken back because finding a surrogate is the hardest part of the process for a lot of families, a lot of people. And we just had our third person offered to carry a baby for us. That's unheard of. And that itself was a miracle. And I told her, I was like, can you wait two seconds while I go grab Rick? Because if I go in and tell him this, he's not going to believe it. You know, like, this is crazy. This is amazing. So I brought him out and she shared with us her very spiritual experience, which is her story to tell. But we knew that we needed to grow our family and that it was going to be with Rachel and that the timing was right. So about three I think it was like seven weeks before that I had just sent up a prayer and was like, Jesus, take the wheel. I have really tried. I'm getting frustrated. I don't know when this is going to work. Like I want to grow our family, but, and I just said, all right, Emily Fowler, it is up to you and my baby, the spirit up there that needs to come down. Like, this is up to you. You got to find your way down. Tell me how you're coming and I will do it. Wow. And then Rachel came to us. We knew that we were going to move forward. So that was 2021. And we're in 2023 now. And it's a long process, but it's been full of miracles and very beautiful. And 
that's our story of how we are growing our family through surrogacy, how we got here. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful story. And how amazing that I feel like a lot of times good things come in threes. (laughs) I'm kind of like, Neil's like, you are so superstitious, but I kind of do. I feel like there's, I feel like even in the scriptures, there's examples of threes. So how cool that you had three women who were willing to do that and that this miracle came, all came together for you guys and that you're going to have this beautiful baby girl soon. So exciting. Yeah. So what have you learned through this process of having a gestational carrier and this next step of growing your family that maybe you didn't know before or that some of the most important lessons that you've learned through this process? Personally, the biggest takeaway that I have had is it's been a big learning lesson for me on communication. Mm. I think, I like to think I'm a good communicator. (laughs) However, I have learned through this process, there have been many times where I have not communicated well. And Mm. the relationship between you and the gestational carrier or a potential gestational carrier, you've got to have the absolute best communication because it's a very fragile, tender, vulnerable relationship and process. Mm -hmm it's very important to be clear and direct. And there have been many times that I have thought I communicated well, and I've learned that I didn't. And I have come across wrong. I have offended them. I have just not been the best friend during the process. And it's really humbling because that was something that I thought I was good at. And I've learned like, oh, I have so much to grow. So for me personally, that has been one of the biggest lessons. And it helped that's going to help me be a better person. That might not be what you thought I was going to say, but that is my biggest takeaway so far. But I love that because that's so A, so relatable and B, like how humble of you to bring that forth. Because it'd be so easy to be like, oh, my lesson is that people are so generous or like, you know, you could say something that's very vague. But I mean, I heard somebody yesterday in church talk about how she had offended someone and she was so nervous forever about how she was going to have to eventually see them and apologize. And she just stewed on it and stewed on it. And then when she finally did, it was like not nearly as big as she had made it up to be in her mind. And anyway, her vulnerability really touched me. And so did yours when you just shared that. And I think that's the human connection that we all need is to know that we all say things that we don't mean and do dumb things and the point is not to like sit in shame and feel embarrassed about it, but just to learn from it and progress. So I love that you shared that because it's such a relatable takeaway and something that I think can give other people the permission to not be perfect and to, instead of feeling embarrassed about it or making excuses or avoiding it, to look at it and say, we all have a lot to learn. We all have places we need to grow. What a beautiful takeaway from something that is, I'm sure, extremely vulnerable. I can't even imagine. Like, I try to think about myself as a pregnant person, and I am oftentimes my worst self when I'm pregnant. (laughs) So I can't even imagine throwing in the mix of having two women and hormones and a baby involved and growing life and all of the different intricacies that have to be mixed into that. The fact that you are learning from that and willing to share that is so cool to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
what are you feeling right now? Are you excited? Are you anxious? Like, what are your emotions going into the next few weeks before you bring this baby into your home? Great question. Thanks for asking, Corinne. So we are at 33 weeks, so about seven weeks away. And I was so excited because last week, nesting hit. And oh, I love it. Yeah. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to experience that. I experienced it with my son and you hear that happening to other women going through pregnancy. And we all kind of thought, or at least I did, that it was a hormone related thing, right? Yeah. Your body knows this baby's coming and it's helping you prep the environment. I didn't know if I would experience it. So I was so excited when it hit and it hit one day. I was like, I sent Rick like this super long, like scroll two or three times, like all of our to do things that we need to do to get baby here. <laughs> I just like punched it out. And that really helped me just be more involved in the process because part of it is you have, I have a worry that I'm going to have a disconnect with my baby. I don't know. I've only known growing my family through growing the life myself. I know that experience and I know how that connection happens and is formed and the bonding from that is what I know, but I don't know this way. And I do have fears and reservations, but right now I'm really excited because the nesting hit. So that made me feel more of like, oh, I am the mom, you know, I'm getting that our nest ready, getting her nursery ready, getting our house ready for a new life. I'm just like we're down to two hands. We're single digits before she gets here. And the excitement of that is just exhilarating and electrifying. So I'm just really buzzing with excitement, how close it is and how prepared we are at our house. Like we're just ready for her. We're waiting. (laughs) So awesome. Do you have a name? We have two names and we're kind of waiting to see what she looks like before we decide. Okay. What would you tell someone who's in your position, who's considering having a gestational carrier? What do you wish you would have known before you started this process? And what would your advice be to someone who's considering it? If you're considering it, I say go for it because it's a extremely beautiful way to grow your family. I have now known three, well, two and a half, half being mine that is growing that isn't here yet, but two human beings that have come to earth through surrogacy. My friend Emily, her son, and then my sister with cystic fibrosis, who also had a baby through surrogacy. Looking at those lives and how much they have blessed all of those around them and changed the world already in their short young life, I just think, what if they weren't here? Because growing your family mm-hmm. through a gestational carrier and surrogacy, it is a little bit taboo. It's kind of new or unfamiliar. It's not the most common way. So that can be nerve wracking to kind of forge a new path or walk an unusual path. Um, but if you have a little feeling to go for it, go for it. You have to explore it because it really is beautiful. It's spiritual. It's a very intimate, vulnerable process and vulnerability is growth. And some of the greatest experiences come from being out of your comfort zone. So true. So well said. Okay. You did a reel the other day, or maybe you shared a reel where people were talking about things you shouldn't say to a mom growing her family with 
a gestational carrier or through surrogacy. Can you share some of those? I thought it was super funny, by the way. The way that it was done was like, it wasn't shaming. It was just kind of funny and humorous. But at the same time, it was super educational. So can you share a few of the things that you would tell people, like, maybe don't say this? (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what real you're talking about. It was not mine that I created, but another mother who is growing her family through surrogacy. I saw it and it made me laugh and I resonated with many of the things that she shared. So some of the things that she said is people have asked is, did your husband get cooking with the surrogate? Or <laughs> like, at least you don't have to go through childbirth. Like you're so lucky. Also, is it really your baby or you're doing surrogacy? You must be rich. And you're so lucky you don't have to gain the baby weight. You're so lucky you're not going to get stretch marks. Why don't you just adopt? So that's like a whole handful of things that can be a bit invasive and a little bit invalidating, particularly the ones of like, oh, you're so lucky you're not gaining weight. You're not getting stretch marks. You don't have to go through birth or, oh, pregnancy is horrible. You're so lucky. Like I'm my worst self when I'm pregnant, you know? (laughs) But those of us that are growing our family, not that way, mm-hmm. that are choosing other options out of necessity, I'll bet every single one of us would give anything to get those stretch marks, to have horrible morning sickness, to have to go through labor and delivery. That's in and of itself is a extremely beautiful bonding spiritual process. And it is something that you mourn that you won't get to do. Mm. And I think people say those things with good intent. You know, like it's something that they went through that was hard. They're like, oh, I'm so glad you don't have to go through something hard. But we're going through something. We didn't get to the point of growing our family through surrogacy without all the hard before that didn't work out. Right. And then the jokes of like, oh, did your husband get busy with? the gestational carrier like just don't even go there because yeah not helpful not helpful and also not funny like yeah (laughs) just awkward yeah yeah yeah, it's just awkward it's not respectful it's not funny don't joke like that yeah but the questions of like why don't you just adopt that can be hard because I'm sure many of us tried that route or if we didn't and we're trying gestational surrogacy or a gestational carrier first, you saying that is invalidating our path of choice, which these aren't flippant, easy decisions. They're usually tough decisions, critical thinking. And when somebody's going through something hard, all we want is support. So questions like that can be invalidating. And also it's none of your business. Right, right. (laughs) And the amount of kids people have and how they have them and how they grow their family or don't or whatever is super, super personal. And just really between you and your your spouse and the Lord and that's it. It ends there. Yeah. Nobody else. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's really helpful to hear those things. I always find it helpful and educational to hear, you know, because some some of those things are obvious to me, but maybe not to someone else, or maybe there's one or two that you're like, oh, actually, I wouldn't have thought of that. Or maybe I would have said that and I wouldn't have known. 
you know, I know before I started this podcast, I said something once to my friend whose babies were in the NICU about like, oh, well, I'm so glad you're you're going to get sleep. And then later on, she explained to me that 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 was a hurtful comment and that she would have given anything to have her babies at home waking her up all night long. And so you just learn these things and you get better. And so I always appreciate the opportunity to hear from someone of the things that you wouldn't know unless you were in that position necessarily. Right. And how beautiful that you have this podcast because you are educating others and raising awareness from the people that you're recording. I know I've listened to almost all of your episodes and I learned something new every single time. So not only are you saying like you are a better person from hearing that, like I have been a better person by other guests that you have. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share well, a few things that maybe you shouldn't say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been so helpful and spiritual too for me to hear your journey and all the miracles and beautiful things that you guys have experienced as a family. And I'm so excited for you guys to have this little baby. Thank you. So Mandy, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? The first thing that comes to mind is that a smile can change somebody's day. You know, I think a smile in and of itself is a message and everybody has that ability to smile. Doesn't matter what your smile looks like. If it's open (laughs) mouth, closed mouth, nice teeth, no teeth, or anything in between. When a human being sees somebody else smile, it creates a smile effect within them. And you change someone's day by smiling at them and you never know what somebody is going through. Everybody's going through really hard things almost all of the time. And a smile can change someone's thought pattern. A smile can be shared and create that ripple effect. So I would say just smile. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Where can people find you, Mandy, if they want to follow along, they want to see you guys bring this beautiful baby home and all of the things that you share about cystic fibrosis and the awareness that you help spread? I'm on Instagram. It's my last name, then my first name. So it's at Sherman Mandy, S-H-E-R-M-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-E. Okay, perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes too. So Thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you about this. So good to talk to you, Corinne. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,